They don't understand, they don't understand I'm running with the fam, yeah, I love the fam And we gon' serve the one that's from up above And they gon' know it's us by the way we love All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the father and we gon' drown in this water All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the father and we gon' drown in this water Family, family, family Christ died one time for my Welcome Reform Dads, where all things are for dads, through dads, and two dads, as well as the aspiring husband and father. I'm your man, Dusty Marshall. I'm a Christian husband, father, hip-hop artist, and co-founder of Irregular for Christ Ministries. I have with me, as always, my man, Norm, the master's dog. Donham, what's up, brother? What's happening? I'm, I'm not used to being in like the same room with you. I'm usually on the other side of the camera. 50 miles away. It's, it's kind of it, cool. To it's good. It's a little out. awkward at the same yeah. time. There's like two, three feet between us. Right. We're a little close. I, I showered just for this. That's so, good. So That's good. Nice to you. We do have a special guest with us uh, this week, Bo Lynam from Lebanon, Tennessee. He's at the Journey Church. How you doing, brother? Man, I am doing good. I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, I apologize ahead of time if uh, all the, the West Coast people can't understand my redneck accent, <laughs> but I promise I come by it honest. <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you, man. And uh, just a little backstory. I met Bo out at the uh, abortion mill in Phoenix, Arizona, when I was living out there. And uh, we had, you know, been friends on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, we're both involved in abortion ministry. And, um, you know, I got speaking with his brother and he was telling me about this awesome ministry that they're doing out there in uh, Tennessee. And, uh, man, it just really inspired me to want to want to bring it on the show and, and maybe uh, add some of what they're doing uh, and, and let y'all know how you can possibly get involved with something like this at your own church or just your own ministry starting it up. Um, but real quick, man, how's your week going? You were telling us about some projects going. How's, how, how are you feeling today? Man, I am sore and I'm tired, but I'm sore and tired for the Lord. So it, it's a good sore and tired, man. We, uh, we do a thing a couple times a year with the church where, um, we, we call them either like for the city or for the body. Like if we do the for the city, we'll go just random, whatever we can do in the community where if we do like for the body, it's specifically for our church members. Um, and it's just, it's generally elderly people for the most part um, that maybe they're by themselves. They're, they're widowed or a widower um, or maybe their kids have moved off. They don't have any support. And, you know, their houses will get kind of run down. The, the place I got at this weekend, this lady has like a 55-acre farm, and she's doing it by herself with wow. a push mower. Like, no tractor, no equipment, no nothing. A so, push mower? You know, it, it, a push <laughs> mower, man. I'm telling you, she has nerves of steel. Um, but, you know, stuff just backs up on you. The next thing you know, your property's out of control. Your house has got things going on with it. So, we try to is uh is just the men of the church to to get together and do what the church was designed to do, man. It, we uh we definitely have lost the real meaning of church, uh, especially in the Western context, where we think church is Sunday morning for an hour, and, and we don't realize like now church is the body living life together, helping each other, propping each other up, being there for each other. So, man, it was a uh, it was fun, but man, was it some work. We cut down a bunch of trees and uh, did some tractor work, graded driveways, did some pruning. Uh, so I was good and tired. And then to top that off, we went to the clinic this morning 
try to stand for the preborn, see if uh, see if the Lord would move through us and save some babies. And brother, standing on that concrete this morning, my lower back was not my friend. Mm, yeah, long week of serving, and then at the mill. That's you know, that's not just physically draining; that's spiritually draining. I mean, every time out at the mill at the end of the day, I could go for an hour or three hours, and I'm at the end of the day, I'm just like, ah, oh, man, I'm spent. <laughs> yeah, man, mentally it'll wear you out. Yes. Well, well, um, wanted to bring you on, man, and uh, talk to you about you know the the ministry that you're overseeing there at your church, which is uh, you know we talked about mercy ministry, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you told me what you what you're involved in is obviously you're you're helping on the abortion side where you're going and you're doing sidewalk ministry, but also you know when somebody's choosing life, you guys are coming alongside and and helping there for the moms and dads, and then you said you're also involved in um, helping with families adopt, uh, and is it also helping with foster care like church support? Yeah, absolutely. We treat uh, Mercy Ministries, um, basically there's three categories that fall under Mercy Ministries, foster, adoption, and abortion. Um, and, you know, foster and adoption, they share a lot of similarities. Like you, you, you wouldn't be oversimplifying it if you said they were two sides of the same coin, because there's, there's a lot of overlap. Now, there are some very distinct differences, but... Um, you know, there those things are are few and far between. So when you're when you're setting those ministries up, you can you can save yourself a lot of work and only have to do things one time. Because if you figured it out, either on the foster or the adoption side, it transfers to that other side pretty easily. Um, so we those are those three main categories. And you know, ultimately in, in foster and adoption, the end goal is someone opens their home up to bring a child in. And now that child is going to grow up in a God fearing Christ honoring home. Um, but there's, there's more than that. Cause that's just the end goal. And a lot of people, when they hear those kind of ministries, they kind of get put off like, well, I don't feel called to adopt. So why would I want to be a part of that? Well, you actually need to build ministries for those families who are willing to open their home. And that's where we spend a lot of our time because what we found is the more you can expose people to these God-honoring ministries, uh, these biblically-honoring ministries where we're told to take care for the orphan and the widow, you know, to have an active faith, to, to be doing, like we said earlier, what the church was meant to do. Um, when you expose people to that from just kind of the helping standpoint, you would be surprised how many of those people that their heart gets softened and before you know it, they're talking to you like, so what does it look like if mm. I wanted to open my home? Like what what financial help will the church help me with if we decide to adopt? Um, and a lot of those conversations come from someone simply volunteering to be part of a care team. That's what we call them. Um, so every foster and adoption family, we try to build a four to five person team around them just to help them, especially on the foster side, um, because it, it's never easy. You get that phone call at nine o'clock at night and, um, you know, you've got a caseworker on the other end that says, Hey, I've got a brother and a sister. I need to drop off at your house in an hour. And all they have between the two of them is a Walmart sack with a couple pairs of underwear and a toothbrush. Well, 
you they're getting dropped off at your house at 10 o'clock at night. You can't run to Walmart at that point. Like you need help. Um, so what these care teams do is when you get that phone call and you say, yes, I'll open my home, I'll take that brother and that sister. As soon as you hang that phone up, you're calling the leader of your care team and you're giving them the information you have. When you hang that phone up, that care team person is getting everybody on your team active and saying, all right, who can run to Walmart? These kids need, they need pajamas. They need something to wear to school tomorrow. They don't have a backpack. They don't have pens and pencils. Um, Cause these kids literally will show up with a Walmart sack full of random stuff and that's all they have. Mm. Um, so when that care team can activate and, and help you, um, it takes a lot of that, that burden off of trying to figure out how to do that. Cause you still got your own kids in bed. You got to get up and go to work in the morning. So getting, uh, being able to get all that, get help with all that stuff is just, it's a godsend. Um, Cause statistically what happens is most people, Within the first year of opening up their home, all right, over 55% of people close their home at the end of that first year. And they do that because they don't feel like they have support. So if you can wrap arms around them, if you can be the church, um, those homes stay open longer and they can take more children. They can witness and share the gospel with more kids. So it's it's great, man. That, right. That's really cool. And, you know, having been a foster parent years ago, um, that is important because, again, to be able to get everything that those kids need there at that time, that's an amazing ministry that you guys have got going there. And, uh, you know, it's just, again, I've, I've, you were talking about being out at the mill and being out at the mill. So many times we get that, that uh, comment from people of, what do you do after the baby's born, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you guys are, are living proof of this. You guys are, are are living that out. You're like, well, here, this is what we're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that is an amazing thing. So now, can you give me like just a, a guesstimate of how many people in your church are doing foster? Um, and are they doing foster to adopt? Or are they just, you know, do you have people that are just like, we just want to be that temporary stopgap thing? Or do the majority of the the people in your church, the families that are doing this, opening their homes, are they intending to, if it comes to it, we're going to adopt? It's, it's really a mixed bag. Um, cause some people are definitely looking to ultimately adopt. Right. Um, and then some people just see it as this is a way for, for me to, to share the gospel with as many kids as possible. If I leave my front door open for kids to come in and out, um, so it, it really is a mixed bag on that. Um, as far as families doing it in our church, there's the families we know about that have said, hey, yeah, we'd love to be a part of this. We'd love the help. Um, we're sitting, we've got nine done right now, like teams built around them ready to go. Yeah. Um, and I know that there are two more who are currently in the process of becoming foster parents. So probably by the end of the year, we'll be to 11 families. Wow. Um, and that's just the foster side. That's not counting families who have now adopted and they're no longer fostering. Okay. Um, so is that so the it's support? A, it's a pretty good size ministry. Is that the support team and the families that are willing to uh, foster, or is that just the families willing to foster and then there's other families supporting them? 
That's just families willing to foster. Okay. So every one of those families has a team built around them. Wow. Um, and you, every situation's different. You know, you're going to have some people that, you know, their entire family, both sides, is from the same county. They've got brothers, cousins, uncles everywhere. They don't necessarily need or want a full-blown team around them because they have so much built-in natural support. Right. So that person may only want one or two people okay. on their team to help them. And then there's other families that moved here out of state, and they are by themselves on an island with foster kids. That person needs a five- or six-person team built around them to help them run. And it, it's not just for that night that the kid shows up. And, and I know, uh, Norm, you, you probably would speak to this pretty easily. Once you've had those kids there, the single biggest thing you can give them is your time. Mm -hmm. It's not your home. It's not your food. It's your time. It's seeing a stable, loving adult pour time into them and spend time with them to earn their trust. Because mm -hmm. these kids are showing up most of the time from a pretty gnarly situation. Yeah. Um, so if you if you've got to quit doing what you're doing because you got to go mow your yard, you got to go to the grocery store, you know you've got some projects around your house you've got to get done. Well, those hours you're doing that stuff is hours you can't spend with those kids. Right. Well, with a care team, you could call us and say, "Hey, here's what I need my yard mowed, and my wife is two weeks behind on laundry. We got dirty clothes everywhere, and we're freaking out." Can you come mow my yard and send a couple ladies over from the church to do some laundry for us? And while you're doing that, I can take these two kids to Chuck E. Cheese and we can eat pizza and spend some time together and start building a relationship with them. So it's not that these parents can't mow their yard. It's not that these people don't know how to do laundry. It's you've only got so much time. And if you burn that time with that kind of stuff versus investing that time in those kids, well, you're not really doing what the foster system was set up to do because you should be bonding with those kids and helping them grow and learn. And from a Christian context, you're helping them grow and learn in a truly God-centered environment where they're getting the gospel poured on them every right. chance they can. So you call it a mercy ministry, but I call it the ultimate evangelism system for homeschooling moms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a you, good point, man. You know, if you got kids coming in and out of your house and you got a support team to handle the certain chores and things that need to get done, well, you got a great evangelism tool because you, like you said, you're pouring into those kids once they come into your house and, uh, you know, it might be happening all the time. And brother, who knows, man, this is where I, I get absolutely blown away by the sovereignty of God because who knows, man, one of these kids comes into your house and sees all this play out. You know, that 12-year-old kid comes into a house that's never been around the gospel and sees, gets to physically see the gospel play out. He gets witnessed to. He's getting the Bible read to him. He's getting taken to church. And he's actually seeing the church operate as the church was designed. He's seeing these random people show up to his foster parents' house to cut their yard and fold their clothes and bring them a meal. That 12-year-old that kid is not used to seeing any of that. They're going to naturally wonder, what's so different about this place? Why is this place different then all the other foster homes I got stuck in where people are just mean to me and yell at me. Right. Those kids, those kids are getting to see the gospel live 
out in their lives. Bro, who knows if that 12-year-old kid ain't the next Spurgeon because sure. he's seen he's seen what what a Christian home and a Christian community is supposed to look like. Yeah. And that's how the Christian, you know, that's how discipling works is like it, you you multiply. It's not a one-to-one thing. It's like a, you're one-on-one but it, it's exponential, right? It goes out into the world from a center location, like, you know, the apostles. So it's like, yeah, bro, I, go ahead. No, I'm going to say, like, talking about the 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 multiplication of it, I'm just going to say, like, I'm from Alabama originally. I wouldn't claim to know how to do the math <laughs> that could show you the reach that that one kid, right? that God could use that one kid to multiply the kingdom. Yes. I mean, it's amazing when you think about the power of God and how he could use that secondary means of that foster family pouring into that child. And then that child ends up being the next church plant and boom. I mean, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm post mill. So, uh, when I see, when I see, um, people adopting and having large families, I'm like, that's post mill. I mean, right. one baby at a time, one baby save at a time, one adoption at a time, one, another, another child being born into your household. Like how does the, the family of God continue to grow? It's like men out on the street and internally in the home with kids being evangelized. Right. Yeah, hey, I'm on that post mill train with you, man. I'm, I'm all the way post mill. I'm the only post mill guy on staff amongst a bunch of ah mill people. Ah, okay, okay. Well, if uh, Pastor James White can come around, uh, you know he was ah mill before. <laughs> yeah, hey, I was pointing to that James White sermon they did at Apologia. Like, I'm telling y'all, you should listen to this sermon. Yep. <laughs> yep. So you know, talking about that and the way that um, this contributes to discipleship and and so on. One of the things that that just come to my my mind is for men who are in those homes again it, it is so important that you uh are you know accountable to somebody that you are you know walking with the Lord in in a good way, right? You know uh reading your scriptures, family worship doing the things that need to be done, but being accountable with, with brothers and stuff like that. Because from my experience, I can see where one man can destroy everything that you're talking about that can be built up in that just by, you know, disqualifying himself in, in, in yeah. any way, you know, I mean, I've got, my wife has six younger siblings that are all adopted through foster care. She's the youngest biological and then she's got six younger siblings and all of them, you know, growing up, doing well, and then come to find out her dad was abusing uh, a couple of the kids. And then we watched them all, and there's one of them that's in a good spot right now. And the rest of them just all went completely, you know, trans, gay, this, whatever. And so, again, men... Be discipled yourself. If you're in that place being discipled, we just need to make sure that our, our brothers that are out there are being, and so we can come around them as well. I mean, I'm sure you've got part of those care teams that are, you know, you know, guys that are, are coming into dads going, you know, what can I do for you? Where are you at? You know, how can I pray Absolutely. for you? All of these things. Absolutely, man. And I'll tell you, we, we think a lot of the Paul Timothy model. 
Mm. Um, and you know, anybody that's a Bible nerd, um, you know, you love to think you're the Paul, but in <laughs> actuality, about 99% of us are the Timothy. Right. Um, and we got to keep that mindset that, that I, I I'm going to tell you, dude, I, I need a Paul in my life. I need more than one. I need that dude writing me a letter saying, Hey, make sure you're acting right. You know, make, make sure you're, you're honoring the Lord and your actions and your mind and your thoughts. Um, so yeah, that is something to take super seriously. And that is part of a function of that, that care team is when you hear the word care, the reason it's not called a chore team is they're doing more than just come to your house, do chores. The reason care is the word that's used there is you're there to care for those people. Yes, some of that maintenance type care, like you're talking about, just keeping brothers in check and making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do to honor the Lord with their life. But also the the care that comes from you've gotten super attached to these kids and then they get taken from you and now you're crushed. You know, you need those brothers and those sisters um, from your local body that you've built those relationships with that can come pour into you mm-hmm. and speak speak truth to you when you when you need to hear it the most. And that's part of the reason that, that literally they're called care teams is we want to care for you in, in any way we possibly can. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine I had on the show um, like a year ago, and he talked about foster care. Uh, and he had a, you know, tough situation that he had to deal with. But what he was saying is, you know, it's the ultimate sacrifice to, as, as a, a man of God to have a child come in your home, but know that they're, you're getting no gain out of this, right? It's like, I'm pro I'm, I mean, the plan is that this child gets restored and goes back to their parents. That's the whole yeah, foster that's the care system. Goal. Yep. That's the yeah. goal. So it's like, you can't, you shouldn't go into it uh, thinking that you're going to get something out of it. If you go into it with that mentality, it's going to be very crushing when that child leaves and it's going to be anyways, but just thinking about the, the ministry aspect itself and the calling to, you know, raise um, orphans and care for them, love, love on them. It's like, when you're doing that, you're not expecting anything in return. You're pouring out, you're continually pouring out. And to have that care team around you, you're hopefully continually having people pour in. So you're not left empty at the end of it. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Yes. And amen to all that. Um, And I I just want to say too, real quick, especially because of the nature of y'all's podcast, um, a lot of these kids, not just these kids, it, w- it would be a gross misrepresentation to say these kids, you know, and I'm holding up my air quotes when I say these kids. Yeah. This is kids in general. Yeah. Foster care, no foster care adoption. You know, you can have the leave it to beaver family. It still applies. Most kids in today's American society, they can live an entire 18 year span and never have a single truly positive Christian male role model, an authoritative figure in their life. Right. You can have kids, more kids not have them than do have them. When I'm, when I'm talking about the numbers here, <clears throat> you have kids, no dad in the home, or technically there's a dad in the home, but he might as well not be there. They go to elementary school where they have nothing but female teachers 
the average church, when they have Sunday school teachers, there's nothing but female Sunday school teachers. <laughs> they get to junior high, it's 75, 80% female teachers. They finally make it to youth group at, at church. You know, they're finally of that, you know, seventh, eighth grade kind of age range. And they probably have a male, hopefully they have a male youth group leader who's pouring into them like in a pastoral manner. So you, you think about it, these kids from birth until they're almost old enough to drive a car, never have any kind of positive Christian authoritative male figure in their life. Well, take that and then look through the the magnifying glass at the foster care situation or the adoption situation, either one, and it's just compounded. It's magnified even more right. from not having, not only do those kids not have any male positive role model, a lot of them have had a horrible example of a male role model that you're trying to undo. Um, so as dads out there, man, especially dads that claim to belong to, to love and to live for the Lord Christ Jesus, like you've got a responsibility and, yeah. and not just to your kids. Like everybody grasps the idea of I'm in charge of raising my kids. I mean, anybody gets that part, but no, you've got a responsibility to those kids in your church, in your neighborhood. Maybe they don't have a dad. You know, or maybe they have a dad, but he's, you know, he's on the other side of the country for work 28 days out of a 30-day month. Right. You've got a responsibility to pour into those kids, too. And, and from, a, from an eschatological standpoint, from that post-mill standpoint, why wouldn't you want to be involved in those kids' lives, showing them a positive, Christ-honoring, authoritative male role model? Yeah. Um, so that's just a, I say, because of the nature of who listens to your podcast, that's just a challenge to all of us, me included, to, uh, not just look at your kids, but look at those other kids and see how could I pour into that kid's life and show them what a God honoring man is supposed to look like. And that looks like more than just somebody who's providing a roof over that kid's head. It's like you said, time spent, right? Good mm -hmm. time spent, um, providing a roof over that kid's head and then plopping them down in front of the television for the day. That's not right. like you were saying, the f being raised by a feminine culture. I mean, look at the media that they're going to be pumped that message along with that lack of male role model all the way up. Right. Right. And I just saw a thing, I don't know, um, YouTube, something just this week about somewhere, California, somewhere, there's a huge fight in a school. And so, you know, they're realizing that all this is coming because of lack of dads in the home. And so these men, like six guys, uh, showed up at the junior high school to be like dads for hire. And um, I don't think there was any, you know, religious aspect of it. It was just these guys showed up to not only be there for their kids, but be there for the neighborhood kids and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, if the world can catch this and see this and, you know, worldly people, how much more should we be doing stuff like this in the church? You know, should our, our men be, and I'm, I'm talking to myself here because I, I, you know, I have a tendency to, you know, find myself behind my desk and, you know, staring at my screen and doing my things and stuff like that. And, you know, participating in my podcasting and, and whatever else I do. And, you know, I, I, I pour into my daughter and I pour into my niece, but it's like, who's pouring into the kids in the neighborhood. I should be doing that. 
I should be finding some way to be out there, you know, in the yard playing with my daughter while her friends are coming over. And uh, especially the, now that the little boys in the neighborhood are showing up, it's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you ain't playing in my yard if I'm not out there <laughs> monitoring the stuff that's going on. And so, you know, but we should be, I mean, it should, this should be a, a wake up call to dads. I mean, I mean, I just, I want so much more information about how you guys got this started and where this was birthed out of, because not just for the care ministry, but to take that even an extra step and go, okay, whether we have foster parent families in our church or not, we need to be putting this into our neighborhoods. We need men to stand up and go, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play catch with my kid in the yard and I'm going to invite the neighbor kids to come over whose dad is never around or is just gone completely to come and be part of that to where they can be influenced as well. Because again, we've got, I mean, we live in Utah. We're surrounded by cults, right? I mean, we've got the Mormons that are doing stuff like that. I've got Jehovah's Witness neighbors that were, are always inviting my daughter to come over, you know, and hang out and play with their <laughs> dog and stuff like that. And I'm like, not if I'm not standing there watching, right? But mm -hmm. Where are the Christian men doing this? Yeah, and I think so it's... Real, oh, go ahead, brother. I'm, I'm sorry, Dust. You go ahead, man. I was just going to say, you know, I think that's something to keep in mind, too, is like a lot of the times as Christians, we're always trying to protect our children from the negative influence around them to our own detriment, right? So we're trying to protect our kids from exposure, you know, bad company corrupts, good care, morals, all these things around us. But what we end up doing is we end up shutting down opportunities to be influenced into others' lives. And we close ourselves off to this Christian circle Absolutely. over here. You know, I, I could say I'm guilty of that myself, Absolutely. you know, it was with my young daughters. So real, real quick about the Mormon thing. It just made me think uh, last Wednesday night, um, we, we do a midweek thing. It's not a traditional church service. It's more of like small groups, but you meet at the church. So the kids can go to class, to, little kids can go to class together and child care and whatnot, but it's, it's not church. All right. Um, as far as like Sunday morning gathering at a saints type church. Yeah. Um, but we had two Mormon missionaries show up last Wednesday and try to come to youth group. And we let them in. Like, I'm, I'm not going to stop anybody from hearing the gospel. You, you could have a I Love Satan t-shirt on. If you want to come in here and hear the gospel, man, I'll get you a seat and a glass of water. Hmm. But uh, they came in and, and were trying to to talk to some of the kids. And myself and one of the other pastors, we, we've got a podcast um, called Everyday Apologetics. And it, it's strictly an apologetics-based, real-world scenario-type uh, podcast. So me and Nick go up to him and start talking to him, and we know what they're trying to do. And um, it, it was funny because we had one of our guys who's uh, he's mentally handicapped. He, I, he's 24, either 24 or 25, but mentally he's 12, 13 years old. Really good guy, though, loves the Lord. Like I, I wish the average church parishioner read their Bible as much as Antoine did. Um, but Antoine sniffed him out, man. He heard him talking, and he's like, uh-uh, y'all aren't talking about the real Jesus. Hmm. Y'all are talking about a different Jesus than us. And he called him out. But, you know, all that all that to be said is, uh, you know, we we asked him, could we take him to lunch? And we're, we're going to eat lunch with him this Wednesday uh, at a little local restaurant here because we, we want a chance to witness to them. Like they were trying to witness to us. Mm -hmm. um, so to what you're saying, Norm, you know, yeah, 
if I've got Jehovah's Witnesses in my neighborhood, why would I not want their kids to come over and throw baseball with me and my kid in the front yard? Absolutely. Tell me a better chance to evangelize those little Jehovah's Witness kids than with a bat and a baseball and my same age kid is there. So, yeah, I just, I, you know, I know y'all are kind of behind enemy lines uh, in mm-hmm. Utah because you're severely outnumbered. But, man, at the opportunity to, I mean, you couldn't throw a stick and not hit somebody that's a, that's a, uh, a Mormon to, to right. use your kids in that environment to help evangelize their kids. It's just a cool thing. I, I'm sorry to yeah, uh, okay. off-road y'all like that. No, that's good, but, man. Um, but you were talking about how this all got started. So I don't want to take credit for any of it because it literally wasn't. Not, and that's not one of those like Jesus Duke humble brags. Like, it literally <laughs> wasn't. It literally wasn't me. So we got two lay members who were really active in our church. Uh, big shout out to Ethan and Tommy. Uh, Tommy had a had adopted and Ethan had been fostering. Um, and they knew of other families in the church. Um, at this point, it wasn't that many families, but they knew of a couple other families that had struggled through the adoption process or they had struggled through the foster process. And it was actually their idea of why don't we have like formalized ministries around that? And they brought it to our elders and our elders were like, yeah, that's something we should be doing. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. And, you know, Tommy and Ethan still run those ministries on the lay level. You know, they're the the boots on the ground guys for it. Like I I do a maybe one tenth of the work that those two guys do um, because they're the ones that are like the normal day in, day out managing of those care teams. Those two guys are the ones managing those things. I only have to get involved because uh, we, we've got a pretty well-oiled machine at this point that I only have to get involved if something's kind of out of the ordinary because I can lean on those two guys. And, you know, as a pastor, why wouldn't I want to let those guys use the gifting that the Lord's given them? Yeah. If I say, oh, good idea, I'll run it, I'll do everything. I'm robbing those guys of the opportunity to minister and witness and, and use the talents that the Lord's given them. Yeah, that's good. So, so it's kind of the structure of, you know, you, you are overseeing it as the pastor overseeing that ministry. Um, then they're in charge of the care teams and making sure things are running well. How are you getting these families? Like, how are you getting, you know, care families? Um, and are you doing like education on fostering there or, or, or how are y'all yeah. running that? So a couple of times a year, we'll have interest meetings. And uh, like just this is just helpful advice for anybody listening that's trying to do this at their church. The first couple of interest meetings they had were right before I came on staff and they were marketed as simply we're having a foster ministry meeting. If you're interested in foster care, come to this meeting. Then they had one for adoption. Well, the only people that would show up to these meetings were people that were either already adopted or fostered or they're already in the process to try to open their home up. It it brought nobody to those meetings that would be more of a volunteer, like a care team person. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing I did when I came on staff was I was like, we got to work on y'all's marketing Mm -hmm. because people don't understand what you're asking them to do. So if you're going to do this in your church and you're trying to get your volunteer base built up to form those care teams, 
you've got to be hyper specific with we're going to have an interest meeting for our foster care ministry for volunteers who are willing to help foster families. Like we even said it from the stage. This is not us asking you to foster. Mm -hmm. We're asking you to be the church and wrap arms around people who are fostering or who are adopting. Um, And once our message got clear about this is what we're asking you for, we went from a handful of people showing up that are already doing it anyway to now there's 45, 50 people in a room who are all want to know how they can volunteer to help a family. Um, so if you, when you, when you push this through your pulpit, and, and that's the place to push it, don't bury this at the bottom of your monthly newsletter. Have your lead pastor believe in this enough that he's willing to make the announcement from stage um, and, and, and call his congregation to action to, to help these people. When that time comes, when that pastor's willing to do this, you have got to be clear what you're asking people to do. Yeah. Um, and then on the uh, adoption side of it, um, we've talked a lot about foster because it is the more hands-on side than, than adoption is. Uh, uh, we say adoption, I mean, I'm sorry, foster is a lot of work. Adoption is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the way to look at it. Um, but on the adoption side, uh, which is Tommy's side of the coin, um, we build up funds to help people adopt. And then we have members on those care teams that have adopted. Some have adopted international. Some of them have adopt, adopted stateside. Some of them have fostered to adopted through the DCS system. So you've got a good sampling of different scenarios where those people they know the ropes. They know what's the next thing you're going to go through. They know what pitfall to avoid. They know which counselors to use and which ones to stay away from. So a lot of those care teams on the adoption side is training up those about to adopt for the first time parents within the church. So they mentally, they know what they're getting into and they don't get their hopes built up to get them crushed because that happens a lot in the adoption world. You think you're going to adopt a child and then in the you know the 11th hour, everything falls through mm. and you don't get to adopt the child that you've set your whole life up for. So on, on Tommy's side, the adoption side, um, you're training people about the system, about the process, about where the pitfalls are. Um, but then you're also training them up on fundraising. So like what we found is instead of writing a family a $5,000 check, because you as a church, you want to help them raise money for their adoption. Instead of just writing a check, open your church up for a spaghetti dinner or something and and use your five grand as a carrot to dangle out and say it's a fund match. Mm. So yeah, we're going to have a, we're going to have a silent auction and a spaghetti dinner and somebody will donate the meat and the noodles and whatnot, charge people $10 to get in. It'll raise some money. But then you start telling people, Hey, for every dollar donated tonight, to help the Smiths adopt, probably shouldn't use Smith since you are you all are in Utah. <laughs> but to help the to help the Joneses adopt a baby, the church is going to match up to five grand. Well, now people want to take advantage of that, and what would have been a five grand check turns into a twelve grand check. Yeah, and now you you've really helped that family um, adopt their baby. Yeah. Uh, another thing you can do as a church is get to know your local 
family attorneys, the attorneys that handle custody cases and adoptions and things like that. Because a lot of those attorneys, um, they will help you if you ask them. And you can you can shave a lot of money off of somebody's adoption by just getting to know those attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll you can turn a five grand bill into a fifteen hundred dollar bill real quick if you establish those relationships. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah, I I, I hear all the things that you're speaking of in these um, you know these systems, and it, ex- it sounds like it exactly translates into the supporting moms and dads who've chosen life. Right over. We copied so we copied so much from the abortion ministry into the foster and adoption. the The baby shower model we use for when a mom chooses life is the same baby shower model we use for foster and adoption. Mm. Um, the fundraising's the same. The uh, so much of it translates uh, almost at a one to one. Yeah. So what I need to know is where is this written down? Where's the video? Where can I get this uh, paperwork system down so I can just transfer it into any church that we want to start this up in? Right. Like, is there is there like a set system that you guys have that can just be, um, you know, trained to the next church or handed over to the next church? Like, this is the formula. This is what we need to do. I mean, obviously, we're talking about it now. But um, it's it sounds like it's very specific. Yes. So as far as having things detailed out on paper, as far as a step one to step four to step ten type thing, believe it or not, we we don't have any we don't keep any of that on paper. Okay. Because at this point, through trial and error, and then a lot of it is literally just robbing from the abortion ministry because you know <laughs> it works. Yeah. Um, it, that is something we probably should do to, to put it in a Word document where you could just email it to somebody. Yeah. Um, and obviously, man, I see the key. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, you, when you deal with people, it's obviously not cut and paste. You know what I mean? Like we're dealing with real people, but it does sound like at least a, a structure um, would be good. Like, you know, end abortion now has the first thing you do is you go and you get the permission of your pastor, which this would be the same thing. And then it's like, okay, here's a, a care kit that we send you. Um, you know, we can, we can give you some videos to help you on it, but like something like that in this situation would probably be awesome for churches to have as well. Right. Yeah. So something, and, and I wish this wasn't the case and I really don't understand why it's like this, but where we're at in the South in the Bible belt, um, you know, there's a church on every street corner. Yeah. Um, in central Tennessee, there's a thousand churches, literally a thousand. Um, and those churches get really protective. And if you're a, you're an official church ministry, it's hard to get into other people's churches. Even if you're just trying to share something for free with them, mm. it's actually really hard mm. because they think you're trying to steal their people or, even if you're not trying to inadvertently, their people will think your church is better and leave their church and yada, yada, yada. Um, so we've not put a lot of work into putting all of this on paper because you just, if I was giving it away for free, which we would, um, you can't get anybody down here to take it from you. Mm. Um, that's the reason we, we took our abortion, our, our abortion ministry is uh, hope beyond abortion. Um, 
we're taking the ministry out of the church. Like it's no longer kind of like endabortionnow.com yeah. is technically a standalone thing. Now, obviously, apology is the home church for it, yeah. but on paper, it's its own thing. We're doing that with Hope Beyond Abortion because you can't get it into other churches because people think you're you're trying to come steal their people. Right. Um, but I, I say all that to say that's the reason we haven't put it all on paper. But I could definitely get uh, Tommy and Ethan to to work on getting that on a Word document where you could just email it over on an easy step-by-step basis. Um, but the easiest way to get me is I'm the only Bo Lynham on Facebook. There's not another one. Okay. My name is very weird. So mm-hmm. um, if you can figure out how to spell my last name, you can find me. I would help anybody in the country. If you were trying to get this started and you had questions, reach out to me. I don't want anything from you. I, I will help you for free if it means it's going to further the kingdom. Because once again, we take it back to eschatology. If you really believe what you say you believe, you would do anything you could do to grow the kingdom. Amen. Um, Amen. And so tell me what you specifically, what translates for hope beyond abortion with what you guys are doing. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so... It is similar to end abortion now, okay. but where you guys are, like you're a behemoth, you're in multiple <laughs> countries, like you, you know, y'all are the 800 pound gorilla in the room. We're not trying to be that. We're local. We're wanting to work with churches that are within driving distance of us to go in and teach. I, I'm an apologetics nerd. I mean, yeah. that's literally how I found out about abortion ministry was watching apologia videos because I wasn't even looking for abortion videos. I was just looking, I I was in love with presuppositional apologetics, defending the faith through that methodology and came across Durban videos. um, And it wasn't abortion stuff. It was talking to Mormons. It was talking to Jehovah's witnesses. It was formal (laughs) debate stuff with atheists. And I'm like, man, I'm loving this. And then I kept seeing those YouTube recommended on the side of the the screen, watch mm-hmm. this video next thing. And I started seeing videos of, of Christians standing in front of abortion clinics. And I'm like, huh? Well, I finally start watching them and I'm just blown away and got really convicted about like, I'm that guy that says I'm pro-life. I'm that guy that would quote you a bunch of Bible verses, but I'm not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it was super, I mean, like gut punch convicting. And that led to starting to go in front of clinics just as a, as a dude by myself to eventually dragging a couple of people from the church with me to that turning into a full-blown ministry. But we do, we go into churches and we teach actual, and this is all written and documented. I can send this to somebody, but we do, um, we do abortion related apologetics training. Mm. Um, we do just basic one-on-one. Here's what you can and can't do in front of a clinic. Here's the legal ins and outs of it. Um, trying to give people real practical handles for when they go, they know what to do when they get there. Um, and then we'll go with them out there. You know, if I need to drive three or four hours to go with your church out to your local clinic, I'll drive out there and do it with you um, yeah. and try yeah. to coach you along with it. Where like you guys being as big as you are, the reach you have, you know, it's hard for it's hard for somebody from Apologia to jump in the truck and drive to, you know, sure. Michigan <laughs> to go work an abortion clinic with them. Yeah. 
And and that's like part of the reason we're not trying to be this big nation or you guys are past that. You guys are worldwide now. Um, we're just trying to hit our about three, four, maybe five hour driving range from Nashville, Tennessee. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially, you know, what they, you know, in talking to Pastor Jeff, what they wanted to do, you know, is they wanted every, every local church that they hit, not just to go and do the abortion ministry, but to educate the churches right. around them to do the same thing because they knew they couldn't do that. Um, and that's awesome. And I'm doing the same thing here in Utah. And when I was in Arizona, the same thing, I'm just focusing on education and like actually being able to physically go or provide videos that are like specific, um, for my local area with a much smaller, smaller reach, but it's needed. Um, because you know, these churches, like you said, they, sometimes they need somebody to shadow, when they go out to the abortion mill, it may seem very intimidating for a church or church members just to show up and like do their thing, but they have someone to go with them uh, who's involved in it um, and, and has the experience and knows the laws and that, you know, the different noise ordinances and the right. property lines. That's a, that's a big help for sure. Yeah. And I'll tell you something that, that really stood out to me is you know, not, not everybody's church is the same, you know, some, some churches and I'm, you know, I'm not pro or against, and I'm just using this as one example. Um, I'm not really pro or against, you know, the, the dead baby picture signs in front of a clinic. You know, if that fits your church, if that, if that, uh, if that works for your local context, man, go for it. Praise God. Use them but it may not fit. So what's your alternative then? You know, what should your signs look like? That's just one example of a church not really knowing where to start or what right. to do. I've got a local sign guy, cuts me a heck of a deal on my signs. I give him the wording and he makes them look pretty and prints them and, and drops them off the church for me. So something as simple as do you want to use signs at all? Do you not want to use signs? If you do, what do you want them to look like? Where should you buy them? How big should they be? We've already done all the research for you. And I'll get you a better deal than you calling your local sign shop and that guy charging you $80 a sign. Right. Um, so taking little tangible things like that that are a lot of the, well, what do we do next type things for starting a ministry? If you basically can take all that, put it in a box and hand it to somebody and say, hey, if you guys are willing to be in this fight, here's everything you need and I'll help you do it. Yeah, Amen. that's good. Amen. That's really good. So, yeah, because just listening to, to you talk about that, it's like my story is so similar. You know, just the apologetics and that's what led me to Jeff Durbin and end abortion now and stuff like that. And just to kind of watch the same stuff happening, it, it's awesome to see that and to get you here to kind of give that story, to get that out to the other guys that are listening. You know, every, every day I leave, when I leave the mill, I do, I do three live videos on Facebook. When I go out on Friday mornings, I do one on my way down to ask people to pray and kind of, you know, whatever God's put on my heart to talk about a little bit. Then I do a, a Facebook Live the entire time I'm out there. So I've got actually two live videos 
going. I've got my GoPro that I'm wearing, and then I've got Facebook Live going the entire time I'm out there. And then when I leave, I kind of do just a little debrief of, you know, this is how I'm feeling. You know, so many times, I mean, I'll get in my truck and I'll cry. You know, I'm like, yeah. I feel like I've just been kicked around all day today. And, you know, but it's like God is doing something or I'll, but I always end up at the point where I'm calling out for men, get involved somehow, some way, whether it's just, I mean, it, and, and, you know, the last couple of weeks that I've been out there, one guy on the street by myself standing in front of the abortion clinic and you get, you, you get that kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm bitter that nobody else is out here with me. And then I have to stop and remember for years, I worked a nine to five Monday through Friday job and I couldn't be out there as much as I wanted to. I just couldn't. And I know that there are guys in our church that want to be out there, but they can't because of it. But any way that you can, I mean, if you can spare a couple hours one day a week to go out and stand out there, do it. If all you can do is pray for your brothers that are out there doing it, do it. If you can donate, do whatever it is that you can do. But I, I never remember who it was that said it. It was either Spurgeon or Calvin. Do something, do something, do something. Yeah, and you're you're giving people another option with the mercy ministry side of it. You know, my buddy Chris, who's out here, they run a ministry called Voice for the Voiceless, in which we're helping out with now. And that's the thing is like, they're literally caring for these moms who've chosen life, taking them food, paying their rent, helping them with all of these things and they're and buying yeah vehicles. And, and then at the same time though, they're also the ones out on the sidewalk and it's just too much. Right, It's too much. So, you know, one of the things that they wanted to solve is like, how can our pastor from the pulpit get people involved who won't be out there on the sidewalk, who won't do that, but they can do this. And they keep saying, he says every week, somebody comes up to me and is like, what, what help do y'all need? When he'll be like, well, this is it. Um, but it sometimes seems like once the pastor says something and, and, and says that from the pulpit, then everybody's super excited to do something. Oh yeah. It's always like that. Um, like I'm writing right now, um, I'm writing a four part sermon series specifically for churches that will have me come in on a Sunday morning. Hey, your pastor's on vacation. He needs a break, whatever. Um, strictly about the topic of abortion. And it's four sermons, but they come at the same topic from four different angles. And one of those angles is what is your call to be in this fight? All right. Because your call may not be to be in front of a, an abortion mill every day. And if it's not, Hey, man, praise God for whatever your call is. We're not all called to be standing out and to be the apologist, to be the guy that's okay with getting spit on or guns pulled <laughs> on or whatever. That ain't for everybody. All right? So I don't think I'm above somebody or I don't think someone's being lazy because they don't come out to the meal with us. But you are called to be involved at some point somehow. Right. And that some point somehow, look, nobody wants to talk about it but it, it is what it is. It takes money to fuel the machine. Somebody, you, you need check riders. Yeah. All right. You need moms. You need those. I've had six kids, moms who homeschool and they've got really flexible schedules. You need a couple of those moms because those are the women that you can hook up with this mom who chose life to disciple her 
who can mommy mentor her, teach her uh, what, you know, prepare her for what it's going to be like to raise a child. She can be that person that she calls at 11 o'clock at night because this new mom is freaked out because her kid won't quit crying. She's sleep deprived and don't know what to do. That that 17 year old girl that shows life, she needs that mommy mentor. Yeah. And maybe that's your role. And if that's your role, praise God, you're willing to step in that role. Maybe you're, and for the people that come to the clinic, because I get this a lot, I'll get people tell me, hey, I want to come with you. I want to come with you. Uh, I'm off next Thursday. You going next Thursday? Like, yep, because we work two clinics. And I'm like, I'll be at uh, Planned Parenthood next Thursday, Nashville. Come, come stand with me. Well, I'm going to come, but all I can do is hold a sign. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not ready to talk to anybody. And I look at everyone and say the same thing. Do you realize what holding that sign does? Do you realize the person willing to talk is no greater than the person willing to hold the sign? Because that sign shares the gospel, just like that person willing to talk shares the gospel. If I would take 20 sign holders, if you're willing to come hold a sign, smile and wave to cars as they go by, whether they flip you off or they give you a thumbs up, you smile and praise the Lord that you got a chance to hold the sign. I'd take 20 of them. Amen. I don't yeah. need 20 people that are trained apologists. Right. I need two or three trained fact, apologists, may, and then I need yeah. 20 sign holders. That makes it chaotic out there. <laughs> right. right? It's like too many people wanting to talk. Yeah, too many people bombarding people with arguments. That's not good. You, you don't want it. But it just, it always, it always blows my mind. People are like, well, I'll come, but all, all I can do is stand and pray. It's like, do you realize what you're saying when you say right. all I can do? Yeah. Like that's one of the most powerful things you could do. Amen. Yeah. Praise Amen. God if you're willing to come stand with us out in the heat and the rain and the cold and just cry out to God that he would have mercy and use us to further the kingdom. Man, yeah. give me 50 people who are willing to stand there and It's pray. amazing just how much more you're encouraged as the guy that is out there with the microphone and the bullhorn or whatever when you've got two other people that are just standing behind you, Yeah, right? I mean, not saying a word, not doing anything, just there, you know, and how much harder it is to be out there. Because, again, I get out there by myself, and I'll spend 10 minutes in my truck trying to convince myself why I shouldn't even get out and go do what God's called me to do. And But if there are people there, I mean, it's accountability, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, but it's encouragement. And, yeah, it's... it's it's the dude on George Street, man. I don't know if you guys know the George Street story. Um, look it up. Ray Comfort tells a great story about a little man in, in Sydney, Australia on George Street that just stood in a, a doorway of a bookstore and would stand out, step out and hand somebody a tract and say, if you, if you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And that was it. Didn't have conversations, didn't share the gospel, didn't do it, hand them a tract. But, I mean, this dude spread the gospel far and wide and coming to hear stories about people who, who came to the Lord because of this man on George street. And it's just an amazing story. Go look it up, look up on YouTube, Ray comfort, mm. George street, amazing story. But you can be that guy just standing there holding a sign. Somebody may drive by mm -hmm. and read that sign. They may not even be there for the abortion mill. They may just be driving past and see the sign with some kind of the gospel message on it and see it. And then, 
you know, 20 years later, you're going to hear the story, the testimony of somebody who came to know the Lord because they drove past and somebody smiled and waved while they were holding a sign that said, Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin of something like that. Yeah. A good buddy of mine that I go to the mill with Mm -hmm. picked up a track off the ground. He was walking by one day, saw a track laying on the ground, picked it up. It had the gospel on it. God used that to save him. Like, Signs, great. Handing out tracks, great. That's all you're willing to do. That's great. Exactly. Come on out. Join greatest, us. Greatest tract I ever had. You can get it. I think, think you can still get it from Living Waters. It looks like a little wallet with like a $50 bill sticking out of it. And my <laughs> wife and I literally. I've seen that. We used to carry those around. And when we would cross the street, I would drop it on a crosswalk. That's hilarious. And my wife got mad at me the first time I did it. She's like, what did you do? I said, it's not littering. It's evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> and and amazing how people will walk up and pick it up, or people will pick it up and go, "Hey, sir, you dropped this," and you go, "No, keep it. I'm rich." And uh, you know, but it is. It's it's anything that you're willing to do, where you're just there to share the gospel in some way, shape, or form, whether it's holding a sign, praying, preaching, you know, weeping, whatever. God is going to use that. We're all you know different parts of the body. We're not all an eye. We're not all a hand. We're not all an ankle or whatever, but we need all those things in order to function the way the body is supposed to function like your care teams are. Well, brother, why don't you uh, share with us before we close up uh, where people can uh, hear about your podcast, where they can connect with it or even your, your ministry. So um, our podcast is everyday apologetics. Um, it's on uh, anything Apple and then um, Spotify. Um, it is a very lighthearted. It's not super serious. Uh, our our motto is if they're not entertained, they won't listen. And if hmm. they don't learn something, it wasn't worth their time. So we try to be funny. We try to have fun. But there's a lot of meat on the bone as well. It's It's real world. What's going on right now? What are your neighbors and your kids at school talking about type stuff? and how to stand on the Word of God, how to stand on truth, and have those kind of hard conversations about those topics. So Everyday Apologetics, um, hopebeyondabortion.com. Um, that's how you can find ministry stuff. And like I said, I mean, I've got a Twitter. I hardly ever use it. I'm a Facebook guy. I guess I'm kind of old. Um, <laughs> but B-O for Bo, and then Linum is L-I-N is in November. A is in Alpha. M is in Mike. I'm the only bowline I'm on Facebook. Please shoot me a friend request. I'd love to talk to you, help you any way I could. Well, brother, we really appreciate you being on and taking the time. And uh, I'm definitely going to need to get some more information from you on the mercy ministry side stuff. And uh, I know I have a friend who wants me to make sure I give you his information who could uh, use some advice uh, who's doing the voice for the voiceless stuff on the abortion side. So Appreciate your time, man. And uh, as we always say with this show, surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. I don't understand. They don't understand. I'm running with the fam. Yeah, I love the fam. And we gon' start a one that's from up above And they gon' know it's us by the way we love All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the Father and we gon' drown in this water All my brothers and sisters and all my mothers and fathers And we gon' worship the Father and we gon' drown in this water Family